What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Hong Feng is the CEO of OKCoin, a leading fiat-focused digital asset exchange with service in 184 countries. She previously served as a former Goldman Sachs banker, a growth equity investor, a global citizen, and a longtime member of OK Group's board of directors. In this conversation, we discuss Hong's background, why she has such deep conviction in Bitcoin, the OKCoin story, why the company is funding Bitcoin development, and what the future of global crypto adoption looks like. I really enjoyed this conversation with Hong, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Choice. They're a new self-directed IRA product that I'm really excited about. If you're listening to this, you're likely part of the 7.1 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. I used to be in that situation too, but Choice helped me fix it. So now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account. I'm talking about owning your private keys and using tax advantage dollars to do it too. It's an absolute game changer. So Choice is by Kingdom Trust. It's a self-directed IRA product that allows you to buy Bitcoin, hold your private keys, and use tax advantage dollars to do this. Go check them out at retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Absolute game changers. Next up is Masterworks. Masterworks is an awesome, awesome new platform. Did you know only 1% of day traders actually turn a profit? It's tough for people like Wall Street Bets or Davy Day Trader. So why are so many of us mistaking picking stocks for serious investing? You can't control the markets, but you can control your risks. And so how do billionaire investors like Steve Cohen, who recently bought the Mets, control their risk? They invest in blue chip art. If that sounds unusual to you, you're not alone. But the ultra wealthy have been investing in art for centuries. From 2000 to 2018, art outperformed the S&P by an incredible 180%. So just a few years ago, a single work sold for $450 million. Imagine being able to invest in the very same paintings as millionaires and billionaires at a fraction of the cost. Masterworks is an exclusive platform that makes it as easy as trading stocks online. And the best part is you don't need to know that much about art. They have experts on hand that will help create a custom portfolio to meet your investment needs. With Masterworks, you don't have to choose between big risks and big returns. With Masterworks, you can buy investments in works by artists like Banksy, Howes, and Monet. And you can even sign up today at masterworks.io. And if you use the code, the promo code POMP, you can skip their 80,000 person waitlist. Again, if you go to masterworks.io and use promo code POMP, you'll skip the entire waitlist. That's what you get when you listen to the podcast. You get special access. So head over to Masterworks where you can buy fractional shares of expensive art. Go to masterworks.io and use promo code POMP, P-O-M-P, and you will skip their entire waitlist. It's awesome. Lastly is Unstoppable Domains. Everyone has sent Bitcoin to a Bitcoin wallet of a random string of letters and numbers. It sucks. It's really, really scary. And you think that you might make a mistake. So you check it like 17 times. Well, now Coinbase wallets are supporting .crypto and .zill domains through their partnership with Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains provides an all-in-one solution for blockchain domains. I have pomp.crypto. 
you can go buy anything.crypto or anything.zil. What this allows you to do is instead of having to send that random string of letters and numbers to someone, you can simply send your pomp.crypto domain and people can send you Bitcoin to that domain name through Coinbase Wallet. It makes everything so much simpler. Just like URLs in the traditional world made it easier to navigate the internet, Unstoppable Domains is making it easier to navigate digital wallets. And just like those regular URLs, if you go on a GoDaddy or another service and you can buy a domain name, but once you have it, no one else can get it. Same thing here. So if you've got a name in mind, go to unstoppabledomains.com and go get the name today before somebody else gets it. You'll want to make sure you get your name, your company name, cool words. Maybe you just want to squat on so, some domains because you think they'll be valuable in the future. Whatever you want, go to unstoppabledomains.com and go pick it up today before somebody else gets it. All right, that's it for our sponsors. Let's get into this episode with Hong. I hope you guys enjoy. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Hong here with me. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump into your background. Kind of give us a, an overview of what you did before you got to OKCoin. Sure. Yeah. Look, I'm not a early adopter like many of your other previous interviewees are when it comes to Bitcoin. Some of them probably got into Bitcoin in early 2011, 12, 13. Um, I got it a bit late, uh, uh, although I heard about it in 2013 or 12. I didn't really, quote unquote, convert until later in 2016. Uh, but before I talk about that, I'd like to talk a little bit about my personal background as well, just to share how I've grown up and how that uh, kind of shape up my perspectives and, and why I ultimately converted. Um, so I was uh, actually born in, in China. I grew up um, in, in China, in the, in the southern part of uh, China, a, a small town close to Shanghai. Um, and I was born in the year when uh, the, the market, uh, the free market concept was first introduced into China in 1979. Anyone who was familiar with recent history of China would probably know that that was the year when Deng Xiaoping basically opened up the, the, the door and say, okay, it's not about whether it's a planned economy, a communist or a capitalist, it's about how we can uh, help our uh, people to live better, right? In that case, it, it, whether it's a, a black cat or, or a white cat, as long as the cat catches the mouse, it's good cat. Um, so that was the year when actually you started to see market elements in the, a fully um, uh, planned, uh, centrally planned economy. And that was when I was born. So I was actually had the luxury, like everyone else in my generation, to actually experience that transition of economy, a huge economy from a 100% uh, centrally planned fashion into a hybrid model. And I also had the luxury to experience what it was like when it's all, all centrally planned. Because initially when that policy was introduced, you still had the, 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 a lot of um, uh, 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 social stigma attached to uh, being an entrepreneur. Right now we talk about entrepreneur like it's great, right? You have entrepreneurial spirit. That's all you really want to strive for. Everyone is becoming an entrepreneur. But back then, if you are you became an entrepreneur, it's a social stigma. It means that you probably are not good enough. 
on your previous position. You are a loser. Um, so there was a huge mentality shift and also a huge uh, release of um, uh, productivity when um, free market was introduced and, and people, individuals are given that um, freedom to choose to make decision on what they want to work on, what they think are fruitful and actually um, execute it. And you see a huge creativity uh, in, in that sense. And that's also why China has been able to enjoy a lot of huge growth, exponential growth over the last 40 years. It's all because of free market, uh, the introduction of free market. And when, when we see hurdles uh, of that recently, you know, there, there's some growth slowdown from that perspective. There was also a lot of debate on whether that's because you kind of get to in, in, in certain areas where it's really hard to, to, to further uh, bring that market uh, concept into certain areas of, of either society or economy. So that was the larger background of uh, where I, uh, you know, how I grew up. I had that kind of a personal uh, firsthand experience of, of how free market is uh, powerful. Um, and then um, I went to uh, Beijing for my uh, university, for my college education and, and spent a couple of years there, actually nine years in Beijing. Uh, went to Peking University, uh, study economics and, and uh, language. Uh, in 2006, I decided to uh, apply for an MBA. Uh, as you know, MBA <laughs> stands for something that you can, you know, basically after MBA, you can do anything you want kind of a myth. Um, I decided to do that because I want to be, a, a, you know, more integrated into that market force. I think that economy and, and capital market is really what's really driving the innovation uh, in, in the world and, and U.S., has the most sophisticated capital markets and has a lot of innovation going on in Silicon Valley that was funded by the capital, uh, free capital structure. So, you know, my dream was kind of go to that uh, and be part of it. Um, so back then I had a different offers, uh, including Chicago and, and Wharton and, and Columbia. I ultimately uh, went to Chicago because again, you know, Chicago was a school where uh, there are multiple uh, professors had, having uh, got Nobel prizes for econ economics, right? You know, uh, Milton Friedman, Eugene Fama, um, Stigler, and most recently Taylor for, for his behavior uh, economics. And so, you know, I, I went there, I uh, spent two years there and uh, graduated in 2008. Uh, it was a fantastic time to graduate from business school. Uh, but I was lucky because I, uh, you know, had a, an offer back then in 2000, before 2008, uh, crisis hit, you know, the, all the LBO hit an all time high. And people are all, you know, this. This is a new era. Nothing, uh, nothing, uh, nothing we have experienced before is is going to uh, be expected this time. So that was that that kind of narrative. Uh, so I got an offer from uh, from Goldman. I uh, went to uh, join Goldman uh, in investment banking division. So I had another choice back then uh, with Goldman, uh, either joining uh, uh, financial institutions group uh, Fig or TMT uh, uh, for the investment banking division. And uh, I made the decision to go to uh, financial institutions again because I feel like, you know, cap money is is the invisible hand. Um, that's that's what I've learned from from my business school, from my finance education. Money is the in invisible hand. Uh, the free market. Um, there's a there's a lot of good things happening, but everyone, uh, all our the whole world is built on incentives, right? Every one of us, we act on incentives. And a lot of those incentives, some of those incentives are probably non, not monetary. Uh, many of them are. And uh, the, the money, monetary system, the financial system actually organizes and, and allocate resources um, to the way that the society needs, uh, either appropriately or disappropriately, inappropriately. Um, so I think, you know what, you know, TMT sounds very interesting. 
Um, but I really want to really understand what's going on in the financial institutions in the capital markets and, and probably figures the right place to go. So I um, ended up uh, in, in FIG and, and spent, uh, spent eight years um, there, more than eight years with FIG. Um, and uh, now thinking back, 2008, joining FIG was not too bad a choice uh, because 2008 was a year when uh, even before I joined uh, full time, everything's starting to uh, crumble down. And after I joined, I, I'm sitting there found, looking around and founding my um, associate in the first class actually got, got uh, they got moved around because of the crisis. Some of them even were moved into uh, back office support uh, because of that. Uh, but FIG was kept busy throughout that year because only banks and insurance companies, particularly banks who actually need money, um, so they are doing a lot of work, right? Recapitalize, getting tarp, uh, raising blind pool, all sorts of stuff. So luckily I was, uh, I was there in, in the middle of it, you know, seeing all the drama happening, uh, seeing all the tarp uh, being handed out, uh, working on blind pools, stuff like that. Um, um, it was, it was kind of interesting because I was back then still kind of in the learning mode. I was, you know, had no idea what's going on. I had no idea how banks operate, how insurance companies operate, how, how asset managers operated. So I was really kind of duck my head down and really learn, uh, and hope that I, I don't, didn't get fired just because of the market volatility. Um, so I, you know, survived, uh, ended up working, uh, across, uh, different, different subsectors within FIG, uh, serving all kind of customers um, for their needs, for IPO, for M&A, spin-off, uh, refi, um, hybrid, uh, all kinds of stuff, um, kind of interesting. Um, but there are also some aha moments um, throughout, throughout that process. Uh, one of it, which is, you know, uh, when you are sitting in the middle of the financial crisis, you see all kinds of things going on. You know, I was working with a client, uh, raising capital. And then, you know, that situation, I work with investors, private equity investors, trying to pull blind pool together and buy those bad, bad assets. Uh, but they actually were able to secure government uh, sponsorship, basically government guarantee that, you know, up certain loss level government all eat it with taxpayer money. The rest of it, uh, he uh, can take and re, um, reallocate uh, assets and put out a quote unquote good bank out there. So actually it turns out that, you know, investing in those bad assets in 2000. Uh, 9, 10, and 11 were actually one of the best investment time and investment uh, activity that a PE, uh, a financial focused PE, uh, or any type of PE investors can actually look for, uh, hope for. Um, so that got me thinking, right? Because initially the, the whole crisis, why it happened, uh, there was huge uh, misallocation of resources, huge upside down uh, for uh, the general public. And I was even uh, worried if I went to a social event, I didn't really want to talk about being at Goldman because you know, in 2008, you don't really want to be part of the Goldman story. Um, but, but seriously, you know, thinking, thinking about that, you know, got me to think about the resource allocation, what went wrong. Uh, and, and also uh, out, coming out of that financial crisis, people who um, don't have enough financial resources ended up having less financial resources because you don't really get the leverage to invest in one of those worst periods. Uh, only those with uh, a lot of financial resources, ex excess financial uh, capital, they can actually, they have the luxury to invest and actually get more return out of it. Um, so that got me to start thinking about what's going on and what was wrong. 
Um, and then, uh, um, uh, you know, as, because I also have uh, different experience working with uh, banks and insurance companies versus with fintech companies, I also got to see how the different dynamics. Uh, when you work with fintech companies, you know, the mindset is very different. Uh, trying to think, of, look at the status quo and think about what we can change to really benefit the larger generation, uh, larger population. Well, uh, you know, the, the traditional financial uh, industry is more about the, the status quo, right? Um, the business model is very straightforward. It's about capital allocation based on the, where, whatever the incentives are depend on, you know, the current system setup. And so that got me to think about, you know, what I really want to do. Um, uh, 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 when, when I think about what you are doing in the capital markets, there is a big portion of uh, resource allocation to support the, the high growth, uh, the te uh, technology firms who are driving growth through innovation. There are also a, a big portion of uh, resource allocation or asset reallocation. You know, people uh, pursue M&As, spin-offs. A lot of those are uh, capital markets movers um, that, that reallocate resources. But does it really create extra value? And also, when you look at the price uh, uh, movement, market movement in U.S. market or even in global market, you know, take Chinese China for example, you see periods of asset bubbles, um, and when when those prices uh, really uh, deviate from fundamentals, fundamental doesn't really matter anymore, and at some point that that music stops, uh, and and you still think why why that actually deviate from from the fundamentals? What's going on? Because we all think about market, free market, free market believers say, okay, the price is the indicator of the supply and demand, right? And we don't have to know, we don't need a central planner who know everything going on. We just, every one of us just look at the price and price will tell us what I should do, how I should allocate resources. So there must be something wrong with that price indicator that um, lead to uh, that, that uh, large scale uh, um, uh, misallocation of the for social uh, resources. Um, so uh, fast track to 2016, uh, I decided to uh, shift because I, you know, I want to actually be on the investment side, uh, go get closer to that the, the, the innovation side, um, going through growth equity investment, looking at uh, tech companies, tech companies. So I, I was uh, asked by a serial entre entrepreneur in China, he was a very famous and, and legendary one, to to join him and, and help him uh, do uh, uh, basically growth investment. Um, so that was in uh, late 2016, um, and that was it. Was because of that shift that I uh, got to know uh, Star, who was the founder of OKCoin. He he started to uh, he started OKCoin in 2013 as a um, uh, RMB uh, uh, crypto trading platform, uh, primarily focused on Chinese market back then. So between 13 and uh, 16, it's all about uh, Chinese customers trading in and out of crypto with RMB. Um, so I got to know about him and got to know him and his uh, and the team. And we seriously started to talk about investment. Um, I was actually leading the Series B investment back then. Um, so we were talking about that. And that was the, the time when I actually started to look at Bitcoin uh, in all seriousness. I, I heard about Bitcoin actually in 2012. Um, one of my uh, MDs, a very senior uh, lady, uh, a female MD, actually talked to us about Bitcoin uh, in a random meeting. We were talking about something else. And then she was like, you know what? Have you heard about Bitcoin? It's actually a very interesting uh, a thesis. And the value has been going up. 
it just slipped my mind. <laughs> uh, if if I have time machine to go back, I'll probably uh, change that. But uh, like, unluckily, uh, there was no time machine. So uh, in 2016, I was uh, end of 2016 was really when I started to really seriously look at Bitcoin. And uh, you know, honestly, uh, back then in in, uh, in 16, OKCoin was doing really good. Um, was you know, number one uh, trading platform in China. So it has a lot of user, has a lot of activity, a lot of uh, volume, and a lot of cash flow. Uh, but that was not the reason why I ended up investing in them. Because when I look at Bitcoin and really debate on what really it offers, like if if there was something that I learned from my investment banking experience was that. Really, there are a lot of noises in the market. Um, you can, uh, you know, the market can deviate from the fundamentals, but long term, it's about the fundamentals. You know, <laughs> so give it some time, and the fundamentals will catch up. So I was asking myself, are are there any fundamentals in this, or is it just all price speculation uh, that will you know fade uh, at some point? And I was looking at Bitcoin, and I I realized that actually this is something. Uh, I've never seen before. It's very new because it really challenged a lot of the assumptions I had, right? Uh, some of the assumptions like, for example, monetary system. Uh, I Again, I came to this U.S. because I believe in uh, free market. I think this is the center of free market. Um, I went to Chicago to, because there's a lot of econ economists uh, talking about uh, free market and kind of how you should not tax. You should, you know, do less tax and give that power to, to people. But in the traditional economic, economics and the, the current the way that the central banking was talking uh, about policies, there was never a question about whether monetary system, number one, should, should or should not be created or run by government. And number two, there's, uh, there's never a question about the assumption whether inflation is a given. Uh, we always talk about the, the, the base monetary policies that you need to have some, you know, 2% inflation maybe uh, to encourage spending, uh, to, 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 to produce growth. That was taken as a given. Uh, so those, those are actually uh, powerful moments of kind of realization and say, okay, actually, you know what, that's probably, that it probably explains why the the price signals in the market was not working as well uh, because you've got a uh, monetary policy that actually intentionally inflates and, and uh, it's really hard to, it's really hard to um, uh, bifurcate that um, um, from, from what's really going on. And, and what we are seeing this year exactly uh, show point that again. Um, and uh, you know, it's a replay of 2008 because arguably what happened in 2008 was a, aftermath of what Greenspan has been doing with, uh, with a monetary policy in 2000. Um, so I think that was, um, that was a big aha moment. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, you know what, this, there's a lot of uncertainty related to this because, you know, when it comes to monetary system, uh, it's not just technology innovation. It's actually, there's a lot of invested uh, interest in this and, and invested interest, not only by individuals, but also by, Various sovereign governments. <laughs> Who knows what will happen? Um, and you know, something happened uh, with China uh, policy in, in 2017 related to crypto, which kind of speak to the volatility, inner volatility of this long term. But uh, but but fundamentally, I think it uh, shows that there it's possible to to build a uh, rebuild a sound monetary policy that is responsible that um, actually. Uh, rewards the savers um, and 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 the the, the um, uh, rewards those who have longer term uh, uh, time preference 
And it shows if you look at China, uh, China versus U.S. Uh, economy, right? China has a much higher saving rate versus U.S. has a much uh, higher uh, leverage. We, we all tout about leverage uh, in the capital markets. However, if you look at the growth rate, when, when you have a higher saving rate in the society, you actually have uh, more capacity to invest for longer-term benefit. Um, so, so I think that is really powerful. Um, and the other powerful thing uh, in, in Bitcoin that I see uh, was not just related to monetary policy. It was also because it's, it's part, part of it is um, technology. Uh, that blockchain concept um, that, you know, very simply de uh, designed and you can actually use those simple things to to effect uh, uh, large scale um, uh, 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 interpersonal collaboration and enable value uh, transition one-on-one. Uh, uh, -on -one. But it's also because the way it is set up, it actually allows, uh, it uses the combination of technology and incentive system to allow uh, uh, not not devilize uh, people who pursue their own individual interest, because I think human beings are built to pursue their own incentive. It's just part of us. Uh, it's just inhuman to to ask everyone to uh, act in everyone else's benefit. You know, some of some of us can do that, but it's unnatural to ask everyone to do it. So when you have a system that actually reward uh, individuals who just pursue their own benefit. And as a result of that, actually build the ecosystem and build the whole uh, platform for everyone's benefit. I think that's marvelous. I've never seen that before. Um, so that was, again, th those are things that kind of come together and, uh, you know, made my decision. I made my decision to invest in OKCoin. Okay uh, so let, let, let me ask this question. When sure. you made that decision, what were kind of the, um, the driving factors, right? So it's kind of like you bought into the idea of Bitcoin, you found that interesting, um, you saw value there, but why OKCoin okay specifically? Yeah, I think um, if, if, when, when, if I believe in a, a potential of that future, uh, it's a future where there, there is a combination of uh, blockchain technology and incentive setup that build uh, uh, beyond uh, uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the monetary layer. And um, the technology, even as it stands right now, is still not there. But once the technology gets to the next level or the, the level beyond it, um, I think it should be, we, should, we would be able to see uh, a, a revolution even beyond that monetary system, right? Um, uh, in the financial system, as we kind of are seeing right now in DeFi, but it's still very early stage. It still doesn't allow large scale, um, uh, high efficiency transactions. But even beyond that, I think the really, the really what matters is that real use cases, like you know, quick, uh, you know, ICO in 2017, there was a lot of uh, white paper floating around that doesn't really uh, have the, the substance to support it. But I think the direction it was uh, heading for was was right. Um, you know, we just didn't have the technology to su really support and and, uh, and and make it happen. But I believe in a, a, a world where, you know, ultimately different parts of our economy right now, which was run in on internet um, version right now, and through centralized platform, hopefully that can be realized in a more decentralized fashion through token. So it would be a combination of uh, that that uh, underlying protocol development and incentive system built into it, and to be able to have that type of crypto world um, uh, taking effect and and function smoothly, 
you actually have to have a price discovery system uh, to for people to really see the, the value of their crypto, whatever that crypto asset is for, right? Um, maybe maybe peg it against Bitcoin in the future, but you have to have that price discovery system. So my thinking is, okay, this is a, definitely a long-term right, but no matter what, um, you'll need a, a, a marketplace to discover price, meaning a, a trading exchange. Uh, and uh, OKCoin seems to be uh, in a, a good position back then. Um, and, and, you know, that's the place to go. Um, so that was really why I made that decision. Yes, there was a lot of speculation, but without speculation, without price increase, you, it, it, it would be hard to attract new, uh, new users into the space. So it's just a starting point. Absolutely. It makes complete sense. Talk a little bit about OKCoin today. Um, you know, you guys are based in the United States and kind of have a whole bunch of different features. Like when you describe the business and the products to somebody, just give us an overview of what does that really entail? Yeah. Um, so OKCoin today, we actually went through a lot of transitions. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, back in 2016, 15, 16, 17, we were all um, Chinese market. And the only trading pair we had back then was just a Chinese yen, a Chinese yen versus crypto. Uh, in 17, we went through the, uh, a, a transition because of the Chinese government uh, shutting shutting it down informally and not allowing that that fiat crypto trade. So we actually decided to uh, come change our strategy and come to the U.S. and other jurisdictions where there is a clearer regulatory framework where we can actually uh, build out that fiat on them because we believe that. You know, in the future, it's probably all 100% crypto. Uh, who knows that that's such a remote future. In a more re- uh, uh, realistic way, it's probably a parallel, right? A parallel world where we, you have crypto, but you also have um, traditional fiat stuff. So we need a bridge um, between the two. We need to give people easy access uh, into crypto or out of crypto. And that's what we are trying to do uh, at OKCoin to provide that easy on-ramp, off-ramp access to crypto and and also drive adoption. I think crypto, uh, even today, you know, with uh, with all the uh, excitement that we are seeing in DeFi over the last three months, it's still a very small population thing. Uh, it's you know, it's very hard for people to general public to to to, to grasp the concept of uh, private key and you know, access and set up node. Um, uh, not even everyone within crypto can actually do that. So. I think, I think there's still a, a high bar to cross, but um, getting um, more people to really understand, to start off, to understand what Bitcoin is about and, and see if they actually agree with the fundamental uh, principles that Bitcoin is proposing. And then maybe going beyond that, you know, uh, what are the other potential uh, uh, protocols and, and crypto assets that they identify with, either want to invest in or utilize in the future. I think that's really what we think about ourselves. Uh, our mission is kind of on that adoption uh, direction. Want to make it easy for the uh, general public to do that. Um, that's why, you know, f- for now, we have been in uh, uh, building mode uh, because to be that bridge, um, like it or not, you have to be compliant uh, um, and uh, getting Getting licenses in U.S. in the right way takes time, um, so we took uh, we're taking time to do that over the last uh, uh, three years. Um, and uh, uh, over the last year, we've been also, you know, with with license application kind of uh, uh, more than halfway done. We started to also invest in uh, uh, areas where you know product and marketing growth um, and kind of drove, try to build that infrastructure and and get some of the uh, good products out there uh, to serve markets. 
um, you know, we have been updating our uh, current product as is um, to to make it easy, adding adding a, adding instant deposit and, and making it easy uh, flow. But there is a lot more that we want to uh, do with our product. So so we'll continue to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I read somewhere. Uh... And something I found very interesting is that you're actually helping to fund Bitcoin development as well. Talk yes. a little bit about um, where did that come from and kind of what's the, what's the thought process behind it? Sounds like you guys are basically have money going out, but uh, not necessarily directly money coming back in and, and are more just supporting developers building on Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that circles back to how we see Bitcoin as part of the crypto uh, world and also my uh, uh, experience from from uh, uh, Goldman um, again, you know, going back to the fact that you know, uh, when when we look at what's going on out there, either in traditional space or in crypto, you know, we went through the ICO process, right? Um, that the bump and burst, um, and we are right now in a DeFi wave. Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate on whether this DeFi is the same with uh, ICO, where it's different. But uh, coming down to, I think, uh, what really matters for crypto to to uh, be long term successful and actually. Uh, deliver what we believe in in the first place is about the fundamentals. Are we building the protocol in the right way? Um, obviously, and again, when I think about crypto, there are two elements. One is that underlying protocol level, and the other is the incentive that's built into it. Uh, obviously, Bitcoin is already uh, is is the most uh, mature crypto asset in crypto, and the way the incentive system is built is very clear, very simple. And it's it's built in the in the sense that it was um, meant to be, right? Being that gold, digital gold, uh, being that kind of monetary layer. But there's a lot of stuff that need to be done to the protocol to make sure that it actually is secured. It's uh, it it's, uh, it protects privacy. It can um, scale to the to the best it can. So I think there's a lot of work that need to be done there. And you know, we um, as an exchange, we don't necessarily. Um, get direct benefit from uh, sponsoring those uh, developers, but we think it's important for us to do that because uh, Bitcoin is the fundamental layer of our industry. So if anything bad happens to it, you know, we are all gone. Um, and uh, would, we would like to be able to sponsor uh, sponsor the continuous development. And we, are, we don't think we are the only one, right? And, and it's, it's good that we are not the only one. And we don't, we didn't, uh, we don't want to be the only one. And we don't want our form of donation to be the only form of donation. I think it's actually good to have different uh, parties uh, jumping in actually after our efforts. So we also see a lot of our pals uh, 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 in the exchange um, uh, industry to jump in and also uh, provide support, which is great, uh, which is what we would love to see. Um, and we started with Bitcoin again, it's, it's because it is the one of the oldest developer community. It doesn't really have a central um, a central uh, uh, sponsoring uh, entity, right? Um, and it's very much community driven. Uh, it's unlike Ethereum, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, different organizations sponsoring it. Uh, Bitcoin is really uh, out there on its own. And um, I think it takes every efforts from every one of us to, 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 uh, to support its uh, continuous growth. So that's really why, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to do it. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's really kind of uh, investing in, in that, Protocol and also uh, see uh, to to have, uh, to whatever extent we can um, try to be that bridge to uh, between developer community, which is a more fundamental uh, community and a more niche, also a more specialized community, to the 
the general investor and general public, uh, help people understand what's going on there, why they're working on what they're working on, why it matters to us, uh, things like that. We also learn a lot in that process as well. Um, and we'll continue to do that. How do you see the kind of landscape of exchanges, both in the U.S. and internationally, um, kind of unfolding, right? That there's um, kind of a whole host of different exchanges. They all have different strategies. You guys have kind of a very unique um, you know, type strategy. You spend a lot of time building recently. How do you think of like differentiation and, and kind of like where you want to um, kind of find success? Like what, what is that thing that you guys say, hey, we want to be known for X? Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't want to speak for other exchanges. I think, again, as you mentioned, there are a lot of players out there. Some, some are around uh, longer, some are around shorter. Uh, obviously, most recently, we have Uniswap, <laughs> which is a totally different animal. And we're very happy to see them uh, grow and, and the volume outpacing Coinbase. But uh, again, from our perspective, uh, our focus is really on uh, promoting adoption. And we want to do whatever we can to do that. Uh, and that means that we have to focus our resources on that. Keep make it simple, uh, make it make it easy for people to get in and get out. Uh, is, is that does that mean it has to be centralized exchange or whatever format that we want to take? Maybe, but but it can also be you know uh, connecting to the DeFi world uh, in in some sense. Um, so we're exploring, we're you know uh, doing that uh, internal debate, and and some of it will translate into product, and some of it probably will not after internal uh, discussion. Uh, but hopefully we're all moving in that direction, which is, you know, we want to we want to help uh, promote adoption, uh, help people come more people come in and, and understand and, and embrace it in whatever you know format, because not all, you know, some of us are diehard Bitcoin holders. We just buy and hold. We don't trade. Some of our uh, daily traders, right, coming in the day out, you know, Bitcoin or altcoin. <laughs> It <laughs> doesn't matter. And then there's some other people who are not really um, familiar with it and they're still debating what it would be and how they should manage it. I think from our perspective and me as a kind of a, a long-term uh, Wall Street uh, practitioner, I think everyone should take a very responsible approach, um, not diving before you have actually have some uh, idea of what's going on. And and, and also, particularly, if you don't know what's going on, you don't have full conviction, don't all in. Just put a small amount into it and then see how it goes. Uh, that's probably, or just get, you know, one Bitcoin for your children and just leave it there. Uh, so so one, one of the interesting things to me is like part of the Bitcoin narrative of store value is to hold Bitcoin, right? Obviously, exchanges want as much trading as possible because that's how they make money. How do you kind of think through the balance between uh, maybe that Bitcoin ethos uh, of holding and store value with uh, kind of the business goals of lots of transactions. Right? Like, that's a very kind of interesting thing. And I think you guys have a unique perspective on it. Yeah, again, as a, from a business, like uh, from personal perspective, I obviously have my personal preference when it comes to hold versus trade. Uh, and I respect that for everyone. I think everyone has has that and should make that choice. And uh, that's also what makes uh, make will make it successful for Bitcoin long term. Like if it, all people are trading uh, and not holding, then you know it, it's problematic because you all end up having speculations. But if uh, no one is trading, everyone is holding, then there's no liquidity and and uh, there's no price fluctuation and no uh, interest spike uh, from from the uh, non-crypto community. So I think it's actually healthy to have uh, you know, both. And uh, as an exchange from a business perspective, we're not going to dictate on 
you know, whether you should hold or whether you should trade, it's all individual choice. Again, you know, back to how I grew up, I really believe in that uh, 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 empowering individuals. I think um, if you look at um, if you look at evolution of uh, internet, right, over the last ten or twenty years, uh, last last twenty years in in U.S., last ten years in in China, I think there is a very clear trend of dem democratization uh, of everything, uh, starting from message starting from e-commerce trading uh, buying and sell and then gradually getting into uh, media more more uh, more sensitive areas of media but you know the the recent uh, TikTok was making a big splash here uh, one of the big reason we I, I actually invested in TikTok when I was doing my growth investment uh, which you know hopefully it looks like it's a good one um, but one of the reason that they were successful is because it was really giving that uh, uh, right to users. It's all user-generated content. It's not that platform trying to centrally produce it. It's whatever a user want to do. You produce it and, you know, you'll see uh, how much interest you're generating locally. Um, so I think that uh, democratization uh, is very powerful. And um, what we are doing in crypto is, I think, is in line with that. The, the ultimate thing is really to empower individuals right um and uh crypto hopefully with uh, with the right incentives and, and we we do need as an industry we do need more technology advancement more advancement in the protocol level uh to be able to host uh um more use cases real real use, use cases and and to be honest you know i i spent all my professional life in uh, financial institutions uh, and i love what's going on with DeFi. But but I think ultimately what uh, will make us successful as a, as an industry for crypto is you we have to see more use cases outside financial industry. Uh, that's when things will really take off. Uh, and you know yeah, look forward to that. Absolutely. And and so when you think about that future world where you know it, things have taken off, go out maybe ten or twenty years, like paint a picture of what is the kind of holy grail situation or kind of where where are we headed, if you will. Uh, 10 years, 10, I don't know what happens in 10 years. We'll see. Um, uh, but you know, uh, 10, 10 years is a long, uh, it is a long horizon. If we think about what happens in 10 years, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, in, in us, in China, you know, things have totally turned upside down. Um, but maybe, maybe crypto will bring an even more drastic change changes to us. Uh, maybe not. Um, th there, there are a lot of hurdles to that too, right? Uh, there's the um, advancement at the protocol level. Um, there, there's regulatory uh, framework, how, how that will shake out. Uh, because even in the internet space or where you see more innovations um, that actually benefit society, benefit people, is when actually regulators taking a seat back and see what's going on uh, before jumping in and, and say this is not Right, and uh, that's not right. Um, you actually give them some space to experiment and see uh, what works versus what doesn't work. So it's hard to tell. Um, I'm I'm generally positive, uh, but you know it's hard to. <laughs> there there are some pieces of it that that's kind of uh, hard to predict as well. So I I would say that long term I'm very positive, um, but but there is uh, natural um, volatility because of that, that I think we should expect and we should embrace as an industry and work out, work through it. Um, 
ideally in a in a ideal situation i think we are we would i don't know if that happens in 10 years or so but i think in a ideal situation there's no company format uh there's probably no government format it's all community and um you know each community based on each protocol with its own token is almost like a country uh that we have right now but again that's a that's a you know I don't know if it's a remote reality. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then what about OKCoin 10 or 20 years from now? Like, what is that kind of North Star or, or where are you driving the organization and want to see it get over the next kind of decade or so? Again, I don't know. Uh, 10 years, it's really hard to tell. Uh, right now, what, what we currently have is, I think the, the way we see the evolution is that there is a, there is a long... Uh, period of uh, transition time or uh, a, a period where the two worlds ran in parallel, right? There may be situations where the two worlds collide. Uh, you know, we'll put that possibility aside first, but there will be a, a long time when the two worlds um, uh, coexist together. So we want to be, for OKCoin in its current form, uh, we want to be that connection point between the two. Uh, that the format of that connection point can change uh, as the industry changes. You know, uh, we are, as you know, uh, much better than anybody else. You know, our industry changes every minute. Um, so it's hard to tell. You know, our internally, we, we, uh, we look at things every two months. Uh, and that's probably feeling too, <laughs> too, still too long. Um, so it's really hard to tell uh, how, how things will look like 10 years. But, but I think that North Star of uh, promoting adoption is going to be important for us to, uh, to uh, mobilize around. Yeah, look, I think that uh, just the perspective you have is uh, it's so balanced. And um, I think this idea of like, hey, we're building a business, but we believe in the ethos of Bitcoin and, and a lot that's going on there and, and the willingness to uh, support Bitcoin developers um, and kind of really be thoughtful about what you're building and kind of how you roll it out and stuff is uh, it's pretty impressive to see. Uh, before we uh, we wrap up, I ask everybody the same two questions, and then you'll get the opportunity to ask me one. Uh, the first one is, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Uh, I like Foundation Trilogy. Awesome. Why, why, why do you like that? Um, I read it a uh, very early uh, age. Um, and I think it was eye-opening. It's a combination of uh, sociology and, you know, the, the way they talk about psychohistory. You know, on, on one side, it reflects, almost reflects what happened with Roman uh, Empire. Uh, but on the other side, it, um, it shows the possibility that, um, you know, human being, human society, uh, individually, it's very hard to predict, but... If you look at it on a over a long enough horizon and a larger uh, enough scale, you can probably see some patterns um, and use that to predict things. It's different from central bankers trying to predict uh, monetary <laughs> policy, I think. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, um, moments where you see small. Uh, small characters in this story actually shaping history, but not shaping history, changing it because it kind of diverged from that uh, path. It still follows. So math uh, matters, actually. <laughs> there, there, there are some uh, 
sacred uh, 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 rules embedded in that number game. So I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love it. I love that answer. That's awesome. Um, aliens is the second question. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Um, I, 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 I think it's unlikely that we are the only planet with, uh, with life. I thought you were going to say it's unlikely that aliens existed. I was going to be shocked, but okay. Unlikely that we are alone makes more sense. It's unlikely. We just don't know uh, where they are. Well, maybe they are, but we, you know, we are not aware of it. Maybe we are in their program, whatever. Um, so yes, I, I, uh, I think it is. Uh, we just don't know. I, I tend to agree with you. And uh, based on 2020, I started to think that maybe we are actually in a simulation, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody is saying, uh, hey, you guys dealt with that pandemic thing. Okay, here's a tornado. Here's a hurricane. Like deal with murder hornets, right? They come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, you get asked me one question to wrap up. What's the one question you have for me? Uh, look, you have talked to so many people. Uh, you know, you said 400 podcasts. Uh, everyone bring in different perspectives. Um, are there any things that surprise you uh, that is kind of almost like a common theme uh, that you're seeing again and again, um, um, despite kind of what kind of background they're coming from? Yeah, I don't know if there's things necessarily that surprise me. I, I guess the, the biggest surprise, and, and uh, this is somewhat of a joke, but uh, there's only ever been two people who came on the podcast and said they believed in ghosts more than they believed in aliens. That was a little surprising. <laughs> um, but but in terms of like the actual content around like business and things, it, it, the things that are maybe uh, less obvious are the really simple things. Right. So everyone who listens is always waiting for somebody to come on and, and have, you know, you say, hey, if you want to build a successful exchange, here's the secret. Right. Or like, here's the magic bullet. Oh, I wish and I had the magic bullet. Of, of course. Right. Because <laughs> the, the, the operators understand there is no magic bullet. Right. It's, it's building a business. Right. So you've got to build a product. You've got to make sure that it's what people want. You've got to scale it. You've got to market it. You've got to hire people. You've got to manage people. Like it's all the blocking and tackling of building a company. And I think that um, that's probably the, the thing that it doesn't matter what industry, doesn't matter what stage of the business, like the blocking and tackling of building and or funding companies uh, is exactly what you think, right? It's hard work. Um, and there is no magic bullet. There is no kind of, oh, Hong woke up this morning. She, you know, typed in the uh, the secret code and now all of a sudden, okay, coin is successful. Like as much as we want <laughs> that. Yeah, as much as we want that to be the answer, that's just not how the world works. And so I think that um, that's probably the thing I've taken away the most is uh, everyone, if they can kind of realize the people who came before me and have been successful did the same things that I have to do. And people who come after me are going to have to do the same things. There is no shortcut. Um, I, I think it just focuses people like, okay, let's go do the work, right? And so that, that would kind of be my answer. That's very good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Where can uh, we send people to find either you on the internet or find out more about OKCoin? Um, I um, obviously uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active to be honest because <laughs> I'm still uh, focused on a lot of the internal stuff. But uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is hbangca. Um, I've been using that for a long time. Uh, obviously, we have our website. You can visit OKCoin.com and uh, 
we also have our uh, um, OKCoin Twitter uh, as well. Please uh, come and interact with us and give us your feedback. Awesome. Well, listen, Hong, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know you're super busy, um, and I think people will really appreciate just hearing your perspective and, and kind of um, the vision that you have for not only the company, but also where uh, where all this is going. Um, and again, it's, it's really cool to kind of see the uh, the approach that you guys have taken in terms of funding Bitcoin development and kind of, you know, really taking the time to build stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. So uh, thank you so much for, uh, for your time. We'll have to do it again in the future. Yeah, looking forward to that. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for your time.